Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree, rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. This is Forbes Sports Money on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. This show is all about the business of sports. It's my honor to have Ted Leonsis as my guest for this Forbes Sports Money podcast. Ted is the founder and co-chairman of Monumental Sports, which, among other things, also is the owner of the Washington Capitals of the NHL and the Washington Wizards of the NBA. Ted, I was really surprised to learn the other day that not only do you own one Arena Football League team, but amidst the chaos and some of the teams leaving Arena Football League, you're doubling down. Yes, we own the Washington Valor and the Baltimore Brigade. Uh, there's only five teams in the league, so essentially we own 40% of the league. and. My belief is the uh, Arena Football League is a fallen angel. That's what you'd call it in business. It's, uh, it should be doing really, really well because the demography of fans, young people, want lots of scoring, lots of action. They love being inside an arena, um, being able to do a fantasy, uh, getting lots of data. And the game is perfect for that, but it, the league was mismanaged. And so... Now Dan Gilbert owns the team, Jeff Vinnick owns the Tampa Bay Lightning, we own a team, Ron Jaworski owns the team, and I want to uh, get deeply involved and recruit other NHL and NBA team owners and rebuild the league the right way, and uh, I think that this will be uh, an awakening giant and young fans will fall in love with the game. I follow you on Twitter, and one of your tweets you were pointing out something that they were doing at the Cleveland Arena Football League game that you guys had started, and it seemed to have to do with technology and, and a certain view of the game. If you've grown up on playing video games, football, basketball, hockey, um, the view that you like and are most comfortable with is as if you're in the game going back and forth mm -hmm. the court of the field television when they present the game they have the camera at the 50 yard line or at center court and so what we found with arena football because it's so much like an e-sport there's so much scoring going on and young millennials seem to be attracted to the game that the most popular seats uh, that's that standing room only in the end zones and we give people the option through Kizwe technology because one of our investments as multiple cameras on which camera angle would you like over the top on your mobile phone to watch the game? And like 70% of the young people click the angle that they have the muscle memory, if you will, the mm. optical uh, field of choice, which is end zone to end zone. In its original incarnation, one of the attractions of the Arena Football League for some of the team owners was that, you know, you, you already leased or owned the arena, uh, therefore, this would give you more content for the building. Now, it seems to me that the attraction or one of the big values of Arena Football League is what's going on with technology as opposed to, to the inventory. And, and I go to Sports Rocket and having them as the one streaming of our partners. Partner. Yep, Sports Rocket, ViewLift, which is one of our companies we're getting very, very involved with Arena Football. And, and I would say that indoor sports are ascendant. Um, you can control the environment, you can have high-speed connectivity, you can do uh, metricing of the players' actions, uh, you can have high-speed cameras as opposed to uh, outdoor football or baseball arena where it's raining and cloudy and humid and the like. And so, so my belief is that packing as many uh, sport, sporting events into an arena, we announced yesterday we just bought a G League the uh, NBA Development League team. We have six teams now and a position in an eSports team. And all of them really are there to uh, fill the building, but to generate content that people subscribe to on our own OTT network, Monumental Sports Network. And I believe that fantasy in one day gaming and gambling will really be the next big revenue streams. 
And in sports, we need to find those new revenue streams so we can pay the players more money, we can continue to invest in our buildings. And that revenue stream, to me, is going to be in interactive um, commerce, interactive gaming, um, and I believe eventually gambling. And so indoor sports and arenas are ideally situated for that kind of future. You mentioned esports. Now, I was reading how you're coming back from, I think it's England not too long ago, and you know, your wife, I think, is reading a book. You're doing something else. Uh, uh, your son's fiance has got all this stuff she's doing, and your son is playing video games and shooting down aliens. Well, my, my son is um, very educated, went to University of Pennsylvania, went to Georgetown Business School. He's been working in the company for a long while, but he grew up playing video games, and he's into esports, and yeah, he feels very, very comfortable in saving the world from <laughs> from alien attack. and. And it's just very, very instructive that the muscle memory of young people, you know, starting with Xbox and, and the like when they were in high school and college, that they feel comfortable. And eSports is the transcendent, fast-growth sport. It's no longer underground. The, the numbers around it, as we all know, are astounding. And we're starting to see these professional leagues uh, uh, develop. We, we bought a team, Peter Goober and I, and now Jeff Finnick. Uh, we own the majority of Team Liquid. Team Liquid is the New York Yankees, if you will, of eSports. And we play on all of the platforms. Uh, League of Legends owned by Riot Games, owned by Tencent. They're going to start a really, really competitive eSports league around League of Legends. There'll be teams. Uh, we have to go out and get players. We have coaches. Uh, we have to use technology to train them. And the, the league, the growth of that business is just enormous. Sponsors want to be there. The prize money that's available to the players is really, really strong. And, and so overnight, the social adoption of e-gaming and how people who play the game, and that's what's, what's so amazing. So my son's never going to be a professional e-game player, but, but because the software is always updated, you'll, you'll hear a term called the meta. Um, that's the, the beauty of it. Imagine if um, John Wall showed up for practice and the basket, instead of being 10 feet, was... 10 feet, 3 inches, and they changed where the, the foul line was. Well, that's what happens in eSports. The platform provider through software will change how the weapons work, how the first person shooter speed is going, who the villains are. And so it's, it's iterative, mm. and you have to be a professional player. You have to practice all the time. And it's this, this um, phenomenon of kids who are practicing, they're professionals, and they literally will be playing a new part of the game, and millions of young people will be watching to see what they're doing because they're going to play the game at home with their friends. They'll be multi-user uh, game environments, and they, they're tr trained, if you will, by the professional players. And so... So this community that's developed around e-gaming and, and young people under 30 play, I think, three hours a week still. Um, what, in fact, my bet is within five years they'll be playing video games more than they're watching television. Uh, they, you know, TV viewing is down. And, you know, that phenomenon we saw, video game business very, very quickly got bigger than Hollywood, right? More people are playing video games than going to movies. I've actually seen some reports where some esports uh, teams were valued more highly than some NASCAR teams or the charters. Um, that, you know, which so which tells yeah, the, you what the potential is there. It's it's all based on growth. Um, people will value growth and promise, and esports is a real global game. Um, you know, the best players in the world are from Korea and the Philippines and China, and now the U.S. we're starting to, um, to do it. it. It's funny, um, my son was a very, very good athlete, and he was a good student, but he'd play a lot of video games. And sometimes I'd go downstairs and say, what are you doing? You know, get away from your computer, go out and hit some golf balls, or go read a book. 
in Korea, if someone's out playing tennis, their mothers and fathers go, what are you doing playing tennis outside? You go downstairs and go save the world, and you could be an esports professional. And, and I, I do think that that, um, that culture, if you will, um, has started to move here very, very quickly. And my prediction is that esports will be as big as the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, seriously, within five years. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. A curious thing happened to FreshBooks on its way to becoming the largest cloud accounting software platform for small business owners in the world. As a company, they've managed to stay small while soaring to over 10 million users strong. Or is it the other way around? Has FreshBooks customer base soared because their company has stayed small? Named as a small giant on Forbes' list of best small companies this year, FreshBooks has been recognized for focusing on greatness over growth. By drastically simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses and getting paid online, and delivering award-winning customer service that usually picks up in under three rings, FreshBooks has changed how small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. This is really only a fraction of what FreshBooks can do, and they want you to see more. To claim your 30-day free trial, no credit card required, just go to freshbooks.com Forbes and enter sports money in the how did you hear about us section. One of the things you said was that you, one of the reasons why you're getting involved in esports is, and I'm paraphrasing, is you wanted to be sure that the players in esports were treated fairly. What did you mean by that? Well, I I believe that all sports, basketball, hockey, football, um, baseball, they're really about the public trust and a community of interest. Uh, You know, the root of the word uh, fan is fanatic and you know people just passionately care so much about the teams their franchises Mm -hmm. and the players and so as esports booms um, how that value chain develops is going to be very very important and obviously you have the software developers and then the platform players and the media companies and the team owners and then the players and my expectation is going to be very, very quickly that whole ecosystem will resemble professional sports leagues. There will soon be unions. There's agents that will be involved. And, and, but for eSports players, they're very, very young. Um, some of the best players in the world are 14, 15 years old. Professionals are 18, 19, 21. You're like over the hill at 23 years old. And so just making sure that we launch the league and, and the way that the interaction between the players and the teams and the platform providers and the fans is handled you know, the, correctly in the right way, uh, I think it's incumbent on all of us, and that's how we'll drive success collectively. When I look at uh, your involvement in sports and sports-related businesses, it's done through mon- monumental sports and through revolution, uh, that fund, will it morph uh, eventually where modern ownership be, where there's one company that sort of gets scale and leverages all of these? In other words, will the future be something like there would be a monumental, but whether it be virtual reality or uh, data and data analytics like Sport Radar, eSports, and the Washington Capitals and the Wizards, etc., all under one, or do you, do you think it'll remain separate for a while? Um, well, ownership is changing in professional sports. Um, it started out as real estate people. They would uh, build buildings or buy buildings, and then they would try to put things in that building that would leverage their investment. And, and um, the best way to do that was professional sports because there were so many games and they were scheduled. And, and so we were very fortunate in D.C. We had a building and then a hockey team and a basketball team and then we bought a WNBA team, the Washington Mystics. So we, we go into every season, we say, okay, we've got all the home games for each of those teams. Then we put Georgetown men's basketball uh, mm. from the Big East there. So, so our building is very successful, and we have a lot of teams that we can program. Uh, then people said the value is in media. I think media has become very, very important. I was chairman of the... 
uh, NBA uh, media committee. We landed a really, really big, important deal with ESPN. Um, um, and, and, you know, we continue to show that sports uh, is the big convener for sponsors and for fans because everything can be time shift. You can binge watch, but you can't do that in pro sports. The, um, the ratings are through the roof for the NHL playoffs that just finished. Uh, the NBA playoffs were sky high. They were, I think, the best ratings in the last 10 years, Cleveland and, and Golden State. Uh, but now, because technology and data are becoming more and more important, you're starting to see a lot of people that have both media and technology understanding um, uh, investment funds getting involved. And so what I've been able to do with Monumental Sports is say, we want to be the uh, most valuable, most important um, sports entertainment uh, conglomerate, if you will, in the DMV. Mm-hmm. Um, we, our market is almost 10 million people. It's Virginia, Maryland, Washington, D.C., and it's very, very fast-growing, and we bring in almost 3 million people a year into our building, and then through new media and our, our position, we're an equity owner in, um, with our partner at Comcast Sportsnet. We've built a fully integrated company. Um, you'll hear me say that we most resemble a software-as-service software company because we have reoccurring revenue streams. Um, the most valuable companies in the world, for the most part, you know, uh, uh, an Oracle, a, a Salesforce.com, the big software companies mm-hmm. like Microsoft, they have reoccurring Revenues. Uh, well, so do we. We we have season ticket holders that renew at ninety five percent. We sell suites for five years with annual upticks. We have naming rights partners for twenty years. We have media rights partners that pay us every year for fifteen years. We think fully now. We're almost at eighty percent contracted revenues year over year, and so so. That part of the business has built a lot of value. Um, And then there's a lot of enabling companies. Uh, We're big investors at Revolution in DraftKings. We're big investors in Sport Radar. Um, I just made a personal investment with my son in WinView. Um, I, I just believe that sports entertainment enabling companies will be great investments. And then being able to own the building, the networks, the teams, uh, uh, the technology or some of the technology around it, that both of those um, business plays will be very, very valuable. A guy who likes to value teams at, at Forbes, a lot of this has been driving me nuts because I look at some of the recent deals. So, for example, uh, Steve Ballmer pays $2 billion for the Clippers seems to affirm, you know, everything in a nutshell that you just talked about. I mean, it's a technology company he's buying. He's paying 10 times revenue or something like that. Uh, Peter Guber, several years ago, tremendous success, obviously, with the Warriors, paid at that time what was the highest price for a team, high multiple. Those seem to be like entertainment and tech guys. Then there seems to be another crowd that's come in, and I would dub them more Wall Street guys, they seem to be going more the low end. So like for the uh, Atlanta Hawks, for example, not long after the Clippers, about $735 million or something like that they were bought for. The Milwaukee Bucks, another Wall Street guy, came in, bought for a low. Is, uh, is this a function? The price is a function of who's buying it and the markets or just simply a function of, you know, that's the way this league works where... The Clippers, for example, or the Warriors, because are just have tremendous more potential to fit into that ecosystem you were just describing for the Caps and Wizards. The values are driven mostly by revenue. It's not by EBITDA. And so for us in our market, we have building revenues, we have team revenues, we have network revenues. Um, these are not small businesses anymore. We, we employ almost 3,000 full and part-time people. You know, we can do 
a half a billion dollars in revenue. We're building something of scale and size, and it's not just about the business. I mean, you, we hold the psyche of our community in our hands. This is the ultimate double bottom line business. We, we want to make these lifelong memories. We are one of the most active philanthropists in the community. Um, we help to transform neighborhoods. We generate big tax revenues for our city. And so big cities, um, LA, Chicago, New York, Boston to a lesser extent, the, the big markets uh, will have incredible value. Um, there's a scarcity too. Like if you wanted to buy a team in Washington, D.C., you could be the richest person in the world and you can't get in, right? You can't buy a team because they're not for sale. I don't think today there's an NBA team that's for sale. Um, you can be a partner, but, you know, the ability to go buy these things, because mm -hmm. there's only 30 of them. Um, the league just expanded the NHL into Las Vegas. Uh, that was positive in growth, and he paid $500 million for the team. I think that was too low. I think he got the deal of a lifetime. Steve Ballmer paid $2 billion for a team in L.A., and um, it, that was an incredibly efficient and smart buy. We got a new media deal. Uh, he now has the ability to go build his own building. Uh, he's launching his own over-the-top network. He's doing a partnership on his traditional media rights. Steve's a brilliant guy and a great operator. He'll probably turn that $2 billion investment into, you know, five times that at some point. But he's going to have a lot of fun along the way. He's going to touch the spirits of a lot of people and really build that community in Los Angeles. So that's why these are so um, such attractive enterprises. They're no longer trophy properties. Mm -hmm. I used to hear people say, oh, it's like, oh, you're buying a piece of art. And said, no, no, no. The, these are dynamic, really, really important things. You, know, you get a piece of art, you put it in your dining room, and a couple of people see it. I mean, these are passion plays. These are every moment that is on that court. You On Twitter, um, you'll see fans, you know, this is the worst day of my life. Oh, that was the greatest play I, I ever saw. I mean, it, it, the, the passion that these teams can activate in your community and then the business that it generates. You know, people, I, I say that our buildings are like portals. And game starts at 7, I look out my window at 5, you see literally for the caps tens of thousands of people wearing red jerseys and t-shirts and they're going into all the bars and restaurants and they come into the arena when we win. Uh, I see these heat maps. We have a partnership with Uber. Uh, when we win, people call Uber. We're the number one destination in our community to be dropped off and picked up by Uber. And then they take them to restaurants afterwards and then they take them home. And, and so we've been a couple of times the the D.C. Chamber of Commerce Company of the Year because we can track that people are coming into our city spending a lot of time and money. And, and where else, what other business around can command three hours of someone's time, either in the arena or on television? And that's what's so amazing in this world of real-time communications and now six-second ads that people are running to be able to have captive 20,000 people in an arena all really with the same purpose in mind and then to be able to export that over new media and traditional media, it's really a very, very powerful business theory. And breaking away to let you know this podcast is brought to you by Braintree. When it comes time to check out, consumers have come to expect a wide range of payment options. Or to be more accurate, there are a wide range of consumers out there, and every one of them expects you to offer their preferred payment method. You can look at this as a hassle, but Braintree would suggest you look at it as an opportunity. When you rethink your payments, it's easy to let your customers have it their way. Braintree. Rethink payments. Find out more at BraintreePayments.com slash Forbes. FreshBooks is a ridiculously easy-to-use cloud accounting software for small business owners that saves you time and gets you paid faster, now used by over 10 million people worldwide. For your 30-day free trial, go to FreshBooks.com slash Forbes and enter sports money in the How Did You Hear About Us section. 
given everything that's happening with technology and bringing in esports and so forth, are cities that have the most advanced technology and infrastructure, are they going to have an advantage? That's a really interesting question because um, the internet and the cloud gets contention as it goes to that last mile from the cloud into the city, the fiber plant, and then <laughs> into your building. We continue to make incredible investments in our buildings themselves. But like for esports, not many arenas, not many cities really are technically enable to be able to support it. The, the whole thing about eSport is literally, you know, 400 different uh, inputs in, in a 60-second area, and you can't have any latency. Um, and, and so a lot of arenas just don't have the capability to do it. And you're going to see build-out now of 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 seat-like theaters that are optimized just for eSports because you have to have that fidelity of wireless and that fidelity of technology so that you can play in real time. And, um, and those would be challenges that you know, we'll all have to get. I, I remember we would have contention as people came in and they would be tweeting and then they wanted to tweet photos and then they wanted to tweet videos and now they want to play games while they're in the arena. And, and so the, the march of, of demand for real time and speed and bandwidth is never ending. Mm -hmm. And um, I also think, you know, in cities that cities now have to start to look at the delivery of high speed data, mm -hmm. like running water, like mm -hmm. electricity. Um, we, we see for for the underprivileged that the internet, the web, can level a playing field for education, for the ability to, you know, instead of having to go to a library to use Google and to do your homework. And, and so, so it's almost incumbent on mayors and governors to make sure that they are technology savvy enough to realize that Having a paved road, important. Having clean running water, you don't want to be Flint, Michigan. And you saw what happened in, in a municipality, in a community where the water wasn't safe to drink. Well, that's really important. But I, I believe that, that politicians are going to get judged on what's their technology, what's their bandwidth delivery uh, policies. Within that, there's been some things happening politics-wise that I don't quite understand on the technology side, and I'd be curious whether you think they're good or bad for the business of sports and consumers. One is this whole issue of net neutrality. Is that something that you think is good, where professional sports and consumers would benefit, or do you view, do you view it as something that would be negative? Well, I ran a company once, America Online, that had to build a private internet, and we had most of our expense in building out the infrastructure to be able to support bringing members online and being able to, you know, do the things that we now take for granted. And that's a very, very expensive, um, expensive thing to do. So I empathize with the cable companies and the telecom companies. They're spending the money to build out that infrastructure. And there are companies like a Netflix that have built a huge business. Netflix now has more subscribers worldwide than the entire United States cable plan. I think there's 96 million cable homes and there's 100 million Net, uh, Netflix subscribers. Wow. And so they've made a really, really big business and they are riding over other people's pipes. So that argument of who should be paying, should, should Netflix or Hulu and, and all web providers be paying for some of that ride-along access, uh, there's probably a, a good argument to say that they have been getting a free ride. At the same time, um, I believe that universal access for consumers, for young people, is mandatory. I mean, you, we, we have a world of 7 billion people. Um, there's about 5 billion people that have some kind of subscription to some kind of access. And, you know, the great thing about iPhones and, and little devices is we've put computers now in the hands of everybody. 
And, um, and you know, we believe that North America and the United States, we're small now. We're, we're 200 million of the 5 billion Internet connections. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of the growth is outside of the U.S. You know, it's predicted that the next Bill Gates, the next Mark Zuckerberg is probably somewhere in China. I mean, Jack Ma, I think made $8 billion in the last month. You know, Alibaba and Tencent and Wanda, those companies are booming. We'll soon see that European company Sport Radar is headquartered in Switzerland. And so the world's become much, much smaller. All of the growth is outside of the U.S., and the U.S. can't fall behind. That, that should be our fear right now. We've built the biggest, most important companies with Apple and with Facebook and with Amazon and the like. Uh, but the next generation entrepreneurs, there's no guarantee that they're coming from Silicon Valley or Washington, D.C. or New York. And we have to continue to get young people, give them access to all of the tools, um, encourage them, especially young women, to learn how to code, to study math, um, to be able to be competitive for the next generation. Late last year, you did a new media deal with Comcast, and there was a lot of speculation beforehand. You know, was the monumental sports network, was that where the games were going to be, or was it just going to be with new deal with Comcast? And it seems to be a little of both. Can you please tell me what the results of that agreement are and, and why you chose that path? Comcast is a very, very important, very innovative content and (coughs) access company. They're the biggest cable company still. And they've been great partners to us. Uh, But they're also smart enough to realize that their plant is slowly shrinking. Less and less people, (coughs) young people, are signing up for cable. So that video bundle is under attack. The access isn't people still will subscribe to Comcast and get their telephony to get their data delivered, and then they'll maybe go a la carte somewhere on some of the video side. And so my belief was let's do a next-generation partnership. Um, Our programming, we are all of Comcast Sportsnet's professional programming, the Caps and the Wizards, and it's proven that people will value and pay for live games. So we basically did a deal where we get paid a lot of money in rights fees by Comcast Sportsnet, and we own a piece of equity, and we're partnered to try and get as many people to watch and sign up for Comcast Sportsnet. One day, my belief is Comcast Sportsnet's going to have to disconnect a bit from just cable and be able to sell in a skinny bundle, if you will, the Caps and the Wizards games and all their programming to people that don't have cable. I mean, it's, it's if someone never signs up for cable, how will they be able to watch Caps and Wizards games? So we said, let's do a deal where we partner and the goal is to get as many people paying for the content. And then we'll do another deal, Monumental Sports Network, and we'll stream and we'll go direct to consumer with our esports and our women's basketball, the Mystics, and, and we're big in high school sports and we have our arena football league teams. In fact, in two years' time, Monumental Sports Network now has more live games than Comcast Sportsnet because we're able to aggregate that and we go direct to consumer via subscriptions. And I could see one day in the future that Monumental Sports Network and Comcast Sportsnet, they become a bundle and they're offered to people that never sign up for cable. They're going over the top. And so I wanted to future-proof our organization. I couldn't be happy with the partnership that we've created We'll take uh, Mystics games and they'll stream to our customers and we'll put them on Comcast Sportsnet and uh, we, we promote Monumental Sports Network on Comcast Sportsnet. We do a lot of promotion on Monumental Sportsnet. If you want to watch Caps and Wizards, you got to get Comcast Sportsnet. Contact your local cable provider. And I think you'll see more and more of those um, 
iterative uh, petri dish developing because no one knows what the answer is going to be. Mm-hmm. The only answer I know is that young people replicate their dorm experience. They they go to college. They're they're connecting over wireless. They're not subscribing to newspapers and magazines. They they don't watch cable television in their dorms. They they binge watch. They get Netflix and. Hulu, and then they graduate, and then they get a rental apartment, and they're not signing up for cable. They're not signing up for Forbes magazine. How are we going to reach these people? And we're going to reach them on their mobile device. We're going to reach them on their iPads. We have to find new ways to monetize that content. And what I want Monumental Sports Network to do is to be the leader in what I call redefining the bundle. We, we know there's the triple play bundle. Mm. We know there's a video bundle of 900 channels and tiers and the like. I think there's going to be a next generation kind of bundle. And bundle could be uh, watch games, get tickets to games, get Uber rides, get get certificates to dine in restaurants that are partners in exchange for advertising and promotion. And, and I just incumbent on us to try and find what is a next generation bundle and what's of relevance to young people who are developing much different muscle memory than, mm. you know, we as baby boomers. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Shaq. And when the NBA offseason explodes like it just did, you know we're all over it on the big podcast with Shaq. All summer, we're bringing you the biggest guests from the NBA, the biggest stars in Hollywood, and tons of great laughs. We're way bigger than a sports podcast. So check us out this week, the big podcast with Shaq, with new episodes every Monday at podcastone.com. Forbes Sports Money is brought to you by WordPress.com. More websites run on WordPress than any other platform. Create your blog or small business website today and get 15% off any new plan purchase at wordpress.com slash Forbes. That's wordpress.com slash Forbes. Is it fair then to say that you probably could have gotten a much bigger monetary payment had you just sold the rights, but, but instead... You're looking out to the future. You gave up perhaps a little bit of that to get some investment in monumental sports. In other words, you're both sort of helping each other grow to get to where this is going to end up going in the future. There's some of that, but I, I, I have found that equity ownership and appreciation is a much safer, better path, and it's certainly a more aligning yeah. path with the partner than just being... Uh, paid help or, you know, just getting a rights fee. And I I really feel we're in deep partnership with Comcast. We're learning a lot about the next generation cable technologies and delivery. They're learning a lot from us about direct-to-consumer. The amazing thing to me is how disconnected most big media companies are with customers because they mostly sell through intermediaries. I I was stunned about six months ago, Bob Iger, who's one of the great executives, you know, of our time, runs Disney. He bought, they bought the Star Wars franchise and they come out with a new movie. It does a billion dollars in like three months time. And he says, "Um, I can't tell you who went to the movie theater. I have no idea who went. My customers are the theaters themselves. And the theater guys, they, they, sell you a ticket and they want to make money on popcorn, they can't tell us who the customers are. What, what kind of business is that? That was the driver behind them making the big investment in BAMTech because mm. BAMTech is going to go direct to consumer. Sports teams, I know who our season ticket holders are. I know who the resale market is. I know who's coming into the building and buying tickets. I know through our social media outlets, their email addresses and the like. And so we want to be a direct-to-consumer, over-the-top innovator. And I think who, he who owns the most data, uh, the organizations that have the most intimate relationships with their customers, and that we can get five hours or four hours of time. I mean, that's, to me, the amazing thing, that people pay us with money mm. and with time. They, they fight traffic to come to the game. They spend 
two, three hours at the game. They, they go home. They listen to the after-game after show. I mean, there, there's no other service and product that, that takes that much time. And, and it's why I'm so obsessive about we have to make every touch point, every moment matter. We have to be... Um, fastidious with understanding that people are paying us with the two most valuable things they have, their time and attention and their money. And so, so how do we give them a return on their dollar and a return on their time is really what is driving most sports franchises and sports teams' owners. One of the things you've always said that has driven me crazy because I've never understood what it meant or how I can apply it to Mike Ozanian's life is you're not concerned with the process, you're concerned with results. Right. What does that mean exactly? What do I need to do to make that work for me? Well, I think sometimes in business school, you're an MBA, I think there's a lot of uh, process management and um, trying to perfect the units of work, of labor, of, of employees and the like. And, and I have found that um, the best leaders, um, they delegate and they have very, very clear expression of what the outcome that they want achieved and the process by which you get there as an entrepreneur and a leader is less um, important to manage than are you getting to the outcome. And, and I think that 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 is a very, very important business lesson. Um, the other day I was watching a golf match and Jim Furyk and he, they were showing this one kid, he was like 6'4", 22 years old, he was hitting the ball 340 yards, he had a textbook swing. And here was Jim Furyk, he's like in his 40s, he's balding, he has the ugliest swing. And the announcer said, yep, but he gets it done at the end of 18 holes, he's shooting a 68, and the young kid who's killing the ball, he's shooting a 72. And so rather than being so focused on the swing mechanics and the yardage and, and you know, what clubs they were using, it's Jim Furyk, who's made a ton of money. He's won majors his whole career. He's focused on the outcome, the low score. And that's a really, really great business lesson that um, be less concerned with how the process is mm -hmm. and more concerned about, did you win the game? Did you get the low score? And taking a quick break to introduce an all-new crossover, Toyota CHR, Embrace the Unexpected. Born from the ingenuity of a race car driver, CHR is designed to maximize driving pleasure every time you turn the wheel. Distinctive style meets unique spirit in the all-new Toyota CHR. Introducing an edgy crossover that effortlessly takes center stage. Uniquely expressive, CHR's precision cut lines let it shine from every angle. Agile handling helps show off its athletic side with a driver-focused cockpit that keeps you in command, whether you're cruising through the city or taking on your favorite winding road. And, as any good driver knows, accidents can happen. So when it comes to driving, the best defense is a smart offense. Drivers are responsible for their own safe driving. Always pay attention to your surroundings and drive safely. Depending on the conditions of roads, weather, and the vehicle, the systems may not work as intended. Ted, what did it mean to you to win the 2017 Champion Award, Women in Sports Award? Um, well, it's, I'm very, very grateful, and I think that we in sports and entertainment businesses, we have to be um, exemplars in holding a mirror up to the people and communities that we serve. And it's no secret in demography, there's more women than there are men. Uh, there's more and more people of color. There's more and more people who have disabilities and handicaps and we have to do the right thing in the right way and that is to make products and services and work environments that celebrate and bring all of those communities together. Um, I, I just am shocked that 
sometimes media, uh, which is so male-dominated, they don't um, celebrate women's sports. Um, you know, I'm, I would like our WNBA team to be more valuable. When I was working with Adam and all the people, uh, Adam Silver and all the people on the NBA deal, I insisted that the WNBA get its piece, that, that women's sports, the only way that it'll get more into the consciousness of everyone is if ESPN embraces it and promotes it. And, you know, thank goodness for John Skipper and his vision, and they did a big deal with us. You know, just trying to get coverage sometimes on local radio and local local television. I'm thrilled now that our local sports channels, when they're given highlights and news, they'll show the Washington Mystics. And um, just being an advocate for the sport and bringing in young women who know the Internet, know the web, love sports. So Monumental Sports Network, we make sure that we have as many female reporters, analysts as we do male. Um, and, and I think it's the right thing to do, but, you know, bluntly, it's good business. You want to serve the broadest audience possible. Um, and you just look at a Washington, D.C., where it's millennial capital. More and more people are going to our colleges in D.C. and then staying. And you look out, and there's more women, more African-Americans, more Latinos. Um, and so, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be recognized for um, doing the right thing. But, but I, I also think it's just incumbent on us and businessmen to to be able to have organizations that can sell and market and create products to the broadest audience possible. And you're backing this up, I believe, with a new development in the uh, Ward, Ward, and you're going to have an arena there that your women's team is going to play on. Well, Verizon Center is really credited as being one of the main catalysts for the turnaround of downtown D.C. and the the 70s and 80s and early 90s, there was a flight out of the city into the mm. suburbs. And A. Poland, who um, started the, the Capitals and the Wizards, had vision to make a big personal investment, and I've now stepped into those mm. shoes, to build an arena in the worst part of downtown D.C. I mean, it was drug-infested and prostitution and crime and now it's around Verizon Center. It's the entertainment capital of the city. There's 140 restaurants within a quarter of a mile. We generate like 15% of the tax revenues for the city. The city's turned around, and we played a, a pivotal and important role. And now people come into downtown D.C., and, and they're leaving the suburbs. We, we had 80,000 people move into our city last year, so it's, it's very, very vibrant. There's another part of our city uh, called Ward 8 that's basically been abandoned. It's, there's, no, um, there's no place to shop. There's no grocery stores. The Grubhub doesn't deliver there. Uber's not picking up and delivering passengers. And it's, it's literally five miles from the Capitol building in the White House. And so working with our city, working with Events D.C., we're all going to partner. We're going to build the new Wizards practice facility, a four or 5,000-seat arena that the Mystics will go in. We met one of our commitments yesterday. We bought a D-League, a G-League team. We're going to put that there. We'll create two to 300 construction jobs over a two-year period. We'll then train people and create two or 300 full-time jobs, you know, managing the buildings and the arenas and hosting our fans. Um, and we then will go to our sponsors. We then will go to restaurateurs and hotel people and, and say, you should be building around here so that we can uplift this community. And the, the neighborhood is welcomed us. I mean, it's the first, it's, it's, it looks risky. Um, but I, I believe that if you have vision, I say, well, look at what happened here. 
We've helped to uplift the community. We've created all of these jobs. We're generating taxes. Let's go do this now in another part of the city that needs our help. And maybe by us showing our confidence and having an NBA, a WNBA, a G League team there, that'll give confidence to other developers, to other people. And we have to do it in a way that's true and authentic to the community. The goal is not to exploit the community and push people out. The goal is to say, we're going to create jobs. We're going to create places where people who live in the community can go to a grocery store. There's not a grocery store within like a 10-mile radius of where we're going to build this um, this arena and practice facility. So I think it's the right thing to do. I think it'll also end up like Verizon Center has. In 10 years or 20 years, it'll look like a genius business move. Uh, but short term, we're doing it more to give back to the community. I think, I think this double bottom line emphasis that we have giving back to the community is, is important. And it's also, I think, the social responsibility that you have when you lead a public trust like a sports team. And taking a minute to say that small businesses are the heart of our communities. They're the places we could not live without. Whether you're looking to create a website for your business or personal blog, you'll make a big impact when you build your site on WordPress.com. Even if you don't have experience building a website, WordPress.com can guide you through the process. They have hundreds of customized themes to get you started. You'll get built-in social sharing. And if you're on WordPress.com, you immediately have a big leg up on everyone else when it comes to search engine optimization. On WordPress.com, you are part of a community with support 24-7 when you need it. So you can easily create high-quality content with no distractions and focus on running your business. Come see why more websites run on WordPress than any other platform. Get started today with 15% off any new plan purchase. Go to WordPress.com slash Forbes to create your website and find the membership plan that's right for you. That's WordPress.com slash Forbes for 15% off your brand new website. WordPress.com slash Forbes. And this podcast is also brought to you by the all-new crossover, Toyota CHR, edgy, stylish, and fun to drive. Visit Toyota.com slash C-HR to learn more. Embrace the unexpected. What's the status of what you're going to do with the Verizon Center when the lease there comes out? Uh, you're going to stay or leave or, or whichever way it goes, though. I imagine you got to be very excited about the potential for a lot more money coming in with the next opportunity to, to continue to grow monumental sports. Um, well, we have a great deal with our city in that they gave us the land, they put a metro um, station underneath, and then we built and we own the building. And time has marched on. I think I have five years left on my mortgage and can't wait to pay that off. It's, it's been a, a very, very expensive deal, uh, but it'll be paid off in five years. Uh, we've been investing in the building. I think I've spent over $100 million since I've owned the team. And uplifting and the next year we'll redo the seats we have to redo the roof uh, the the amount of investment that's been needed but what it's done is that the building doesn't feel like it's 20 25 years old and so it's in such a great place you know maybe we stay there maybe there's an opportunity at some point to go look at a different part of the city and go build an arena there uh, but right now, I'm fairly content with where we are. Uh, I'm, I'm proud of the amount of money that we've re-injected into the building. Um, I think the building, as I go around the league and I go to playoff games, our building is second to none, and it still feels modern. Um, and so, so right now, the focus is more on the new arena for the Mystics and and the D-League team, and we'll figure out what to do three, four, five years out. Yeah, I was just thinking the next naming rights deal has got to be sweet, because I'm looking at what some of these other buildings get 
and you know they have one team there or a team in a small market. You're in a big market. You've got two teams yeah. there, an NBA team. So well, our, our naming rights do come up, and we are in negotiations with several partners. And Verizon's been a, a great partner. Um, Verizon picked up the naming rights when they acquired MCI. MCI was our original partner, and that was a 20-year deal. And they've, they've been fantastic, but you're right. The city has blossomed. The media reach for the, the teams, and we now own six teams. And D.C. has become one of the great, vibrant communities. And, and this notion of super city, um, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, D.C. are the four super cities. There's going to be ten of them. Uh, London is a super mm. city. Um, and, and this notion of super city in our market going from, you know, like Richmond, Virginia up to Delaware. That's kind of how I look at our market. And I, I joke and say that New Jersey and Connecticut and Manhattan and New York are there. And I say, who's got Philly? Philly's not big enough on its own. And, and they'll, some of these cities, like what we've seen in London, um, they they get subsumed and and they become a part of the ecology through of, of that city, and they get connected via broadband, but then high speed transportation. So you'll see now people in London. London is about a two hundred mile wide city long, and and people will live, you know, like in Greenwich, Connecticut, and and drive to. To New York or take the train to New York, you say, where do you live? And they go, oh, New York. And they live in Connecticut. And that's, that's the notion of a super city. And so Baltimore for us, that's why I bought an AFL team and put it in Baltimore. I said, we want Baltimore to be a part of the super city in D.C. It's 30 miles away. Um, Kevin Plank from Under Armour, he wants to be able to recruit employees. And they if they wanted, they could live in D.C., and they could commute and they're in Baltimore. And so, so mobility and bandwidth, it's kind of changing geographies, and this notion of super city um, is becoming important. There's only going to be four in North America, and we're one of them. What's your take on what Sports Rocket is doing and what Brian Bedall has done there? Brian's a great friend, great partner. Um, we're doing lots of things together with the AFL. We just got on Twitter, the AFL. I think we had like a million people watching our games on Twitter last weekend. Um, and Sport Rocket being able to bring video out onto the Facebook platform and other social media, it's very, very smart. And he, he's a star, no doubt about it. How do you feel about the decriminalization of marijuana in sports? Um, you know, I was on the treadmill the other day, and Reefer Madness was on. Oh, <laughs> and it was, it was really great to watch how, um, how our notions of what is evil and gateway drugs and the like. And, um, and I do think that as time marches on, things that we thought were bad will not be seen as bad and uh, medical marijuana is um, I think in 20 states in in Washington DC Washington DC has a very liberal marijuana set of laws you can grow marijuana in Washington DC the police commissioner our last police commissioner basically said, hey, you could smoke pot. Just don't rub it in the police's face. <laughs> it's like, really? This is, this is the federal, the home of the federal government and our police commissioner saying you can smoke pot. And so, so my, my belief is that uh, rationale and business and creation of jobs will become important. The, the, the marijuana industry is the fastest growing industry imaginable and it's going to create lots of jobs and you're going to start to see companies go public and big hedge funds and venture capital firms are are getting involved uh, it's being proven that medical marijuana is much better on recovery and pain management and opioids and that's a much bigger issue that we all have to face and my belief is smart people in the league, smart people in law enforcement and the government, they're going to 
get together, just like they will with gambling. I mean, it makes no sense, Mike, right, that, that we have Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Maryland. And in Maryland, you can't play fantasy games. You can't smoke marijuana. But you can go to a casino and drink all night and gamble all night. And then two miles next to it is Washington, D.C., and you can smoke marijuana. You can't play fantasy games and you can't gamble. And then you can go to Northern Virginia, two miles away, and you can play fantasy games all you want, but you can't gamble and you can't smoke marijuana. And it's like it's the same community you drive through. I, every day I drive through Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Maryland, literally every day as we go to our different buildings back with three different sets of laws. For sports teams, and you know, we know that people are gaming and gambling with our businesses. It should drive the NFL crazy that about $8 billion is gambled legally in casinos and Atlantic City and Las Vegas. And I think they said the estimate was $90 billion is gamed illegally. In shadow, web, um, you know, through bookies and the like. You go, well, why is that good? Don't we want to regulate gambling? Don't we want to be able to tax it? Don't we want to be able to create an industry and create jobs for people? So I, I just think it's a matter of time. And, and with all of the integrity assurance that we have around the data, I mean, that's, we track everything. There are no secrets, right? We, we now in sports, we look like Wall Street. And I think I prov- we provide more data about our plays and our players than, than public companies provide to day traders and, and, and buy side analysts. And so I, I think it's just a matter of time before we... We say gambling is going to come out of the shadows. It'll look like interactive gaming. Uh, It'll be regulated and taxed, and it'll be a great new revenue stream for owners, for leagues, for players. And I think it'll um, it'll be make U.S. sports resemble more what's happening in Europe. Um, You know, you can you go to small towns in Scotland and and you you can drink scotch early in the morning and you can go and and go bet on your you know your watch soccer and go bet on it and and my my belief is that that's coming whether it's next year five years from now a decade from now but it's going to come and we all need to be ready for it the government has been auctioning more spectrum high-end spectrum, certainly low-end spectrum, and now there's being a push by uh, some people in Washington for a more mid-range spectrum. I'm not sure I understand what any of that really means, but I get a sense that it uh, could be important vis-a-vis how sports is being shown on over the top. Sure, well, you know, the airline industry, they had to be able to know could they fly planes at 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet, and there had to be an Uber operator that allowed you to do that. It was airspace. And literally when the broadcast business, the original over-the-top technology, right, was I'm going to beam a signal up over the air from my studio down to an antenna so that you could watch. And um, we forget that, you know, broadcast television was OTT. And so you had to regulate, well, when my signal goes up, that it doesn't hit your signal because the consumer needs to be able to watch. And so the governments have to be involved. I mean, they're getting involved now in airspace for drones, right? Will will there be recreational drones? There's going to be business-oriented drones and delivery drones. Well, where are they going to fly? So... So the government has to manage, if you will, the Uber space. And so right now, a way to generate revenues for the government is to sell airspace. And, and so big companies are organizing to be able to buy that airspace and then arbitrage it through products and services, and they sell 4G or 5G right. or you know, whatever. And that's basically what, what is going on. 
the issue around it is that as the expenses that because they're called auctions so when someone pays a lot of money to buy the rights to that airspace they have to monetize it that's why when they launch these services the cost is so high well as the cost goes up because the government is charging a lot of money it makes the subscription cost unaffordable for the poor and and so that's one of the issues that we have that as as the government mm. generates revenues and big companies buy this technology and they're able to package up and sell the latest and the greatest it's pricing a lot of our community out and so you say to the government you wouldn't do that with water you wouldn't say the best neighborhoods are going to have the cleanest right. water and the poorest neighborhoods you'll get water there might be some <laughs> rust in it you might turn on the faucet and it might take a couple of minutes for the water to come but you'll have water well that's sometimes because we don't connect the dots what's happening mm. with bandwidth and so i just think it's in, incumbent on the government and these private companies that are driving their business models by getting this new this new bandwidth to just be cognizant that you can't leave people behind i mean we just learned that that's bad business too that 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 having people that don't have access to something creates discontent it, it drives the education rates down it makes it harder for these people to qualify and go to college when they go to college it takes them 5 or 6 years to graduate i mean it, the, the, all the dots are connected and sometimes just better communications or understanding the unintended consequence of some of these rules and laws and moves um has an effect on everybody thanks a lot for doing this ted it's always great having you thanks mike that's it for this episode of forbes sports money thanks for listening If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney@podcast1.com. That's o n e.com. It doesn't take a miracle to be wise with money, but it does take faith and a plan. At Thrivent, we help millions of Christians be wise with money with advice, insurance, banking, investments, and generosity. Visit thrivent.com. Thrivent, be wise with money. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. and the danger of living here unless you know exactly what you're doing is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.